0: Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. Okay, well, um, I'm standing today because uh, instead of sitting like I normally do, because I'm kind of excited about this series that we're going to start on faith. Um, And so... Uh, what we do here obviously at RCC for roots community church is we're trying to get past the surface level and and um, fertilize your life with um, God's word that will cause your roots to grow deep and that inclu- includes your understanding um of everything that is that could be considered just like a churchy kind of phrase right because when you say the word faith the people who come to church they go oh yeah I believe in that cool. Next subject. Let's go. I'm good. Or yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah. Next subject. Or I have faith next subject. And that would be kind of the entry level uh kiddie pool version, uh, shallow assembly, you know, type of, of definition of what we're going to call faith. But there's a a depth and a maturity to faith that needs to happen if we're going to follow God and do exactly what he's telling us to do. When I moved from the great state of Florida to out here to Phoenix, um, I was uh, really excited about joining ministry school, and one of the first things they did in ministry school was they walked us into this really big auditorium, and they said, you're going to pray for an hour. <clears throat> you have an hour every single morning between 8 o'clock and 9 o'clock. Be here at 745, 8 o'clock we start prayer, and you'll have a, just a full hour to dedicate and so I'm a church kid, born and raised in church. I had been to prayer meetings. I had been to camp meetings, tent revivals. I prayed to people's businesses, at homes, everywhere. I had people lay their hands on me, pour oil all over my head, but not really. They just grease my forehead up really good, you know, like the old school days. And um, so I'd been to all of that. So I was like, I, I was a youth pastor for a little while. So I'm like, score, got it. I'm down with the prayer for an hour. So they dropped us off in there so I went and found a spot that I was kind of comfortable away from everybody in this like really dark auditorium. And so I started praying. And so I kind of joked about this a couple of weeks ago. But what my church taught me when I was young, that if you want to have joy, J-O-Y, it's an acronym for Jesus, others, you. And you put Jesus first, others second, yourself last. In everything, including your prayer life. And so what I did is I walked in that day and I thank God. I thank Jesus for everything he done for the day, for the air I breathe, for my shoes, for my clothes, everything. My parents, my family, anything I could think of because I had an hour to kill. And so then I went after I thanked him for everything I could think of. I went to others. And so I prayed for all the people that I knew. Prayed for my grandfather who wasn't saved at the time. I prayed for my cousins, my aunts, my uncles. And I had this whole big old list in in my mind. And so I went through this whole list. And wound up um, praying for all of them. And then at the end, I started praying for people's pets because I figured, I, you know, got an hour to kill. And so I just kind of threw them in there on the others. And then at the very end, I prayed for the president, who wasn't a guy I really liked at the time. So I felt like I got brownie points or like bonus points for doing that. Right. And so then I went to myself and prayed for all my needs. And I was like, bam, we are done. So I looked around and I'm looking at the exits where they dropped us off to see if someone's coming in to get us for whatever was next in the schedule. And so no one was coming. And so I looked down at my watch, and I had prayed for exactly six minutes. I had gotten through every everything in my life I could think of praying for in six minutes. And so I thought my first, you know, my first godly, humble man of God, you know, thought process was they need a fast track for people like me, because I don't need the whole hour, right? Like I got, I got in here, said what I need to say, high five the Lord in some way, and then I'm like, I'm out, let's go. Well, as I sat there and I thought, what am I going to do for the next 54 minutes? What in the world am I going to do to kill this time? And so I looked off to my left and I saw this guy standing in, in, in uh, near this pew and he had his headphones on and he was worshiping and crying. Like he was in the midst of a worship concert, just kind of not singing really loud, but just kind of under his breath. And I looked off to, to my right and I saw this other guy walking with his Bible back and forth underneath this light. And he would get to a passage that seemed to resonate with him and he would just clutch it to his chest. And he would just uh, like he would talk to the Lord about what he just what he just read. And I looked up at the front. There was another person who had their Bible on the floor and they knelt down in front of it and would read and worship. And they just laid down in front. They laid down on the floor in front of the Lord and just began to pray. And at that moment, I realized I did prayer. I didn't know it. I realized right then that I I checked the box. Yeah, J-O-Y, right? I talked about Jesus. I'll pray for all the other people, pray for my own needs. Now I'm ready to go. But these people did not look at it like it's something that I'm supposed to be doing in this Christian walk. They looked at it as I have a relationship with God and I'm communicating with him. And all of a sudden, I went from the guy who thought I need the fast track to the guy who felt really small, like I didn't know anything. There is a depth of understanding about prayer they had that I didn't. I could say, yeah, I prayed. Yep, did it. Good. Yep, woke up this morning. Yes, I'm good, Jesus. I prayed. But what they did is they didn't check it off their list. They went into the throne room and worshiped and conversed with God. That's what I'm talking about when we say the word faith. There's this scratch the surface, <clears throat> excuse me, scratch to surface level of faith. And there's a deeper understanding of what it means to hold on to your faith and put your faith into God. One of the what you know, if, if you've been around church any length of time, you probably, when I say the word faith and I ask you what verse comes to mind, it's more than likely Hebrews 11.1. 1. Most of you guys probably quote it if you've been in church for a long time and it says now faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen. So I did something I don't normally do. I hit you with a little King James, new King James there only because it's kind of how it's mostly presented. Faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen. When I read that, I don't know about you, but have you ever read something in the Bible or anywhere else where you've just read, man, it just rolls off the tongue. Now, faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And then you walk away and you really think about it and go, that sounds awesome, but I don't know what that means. I have no clue what that means. What is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen? When I read it, it seemed like this poetic riddle like an elegant mystery, like a like, like a beautiful Rubik's Cube or something that I had to go through and try to turn the right way and think about and digest and, and dig a little bit deeper to figure out what this meant. It just was so elegant, but so far from me. When we were traveling a lot with Frontline, I would speak at almost every one of our concerts. And there were some times where I would Stand in front of a church and ask people, "Do you know what this means?" And ninety to ninety-five percent of the people who I'd ask the question to, they would all go, "I don't know." And these were church people; these were people coming on an off night to have a worship concert. So these are the people who were really chasing after God, right? And I would we would say, "Do you know what this means? Do you know what this passage of scripture means?" And the only answer that anyone could ever give is, uh, "Believe what you can't see." And although that definition does start to scratch the surface, there's a much deeper understanding that we can gain and that we're going to dive into in this series. <clears throat> so I'm, I want to look at that first line of that or the first part of that scripture we just read. Now, faith is a substance of things hoped for. Just that piece. <clears throat> now, and then we're going to look at the notes, okay? Um, your first line, of your notes. The definition of that word faith in the original language is the conviction, that first line, conviction, the conviction that something is true. The definition of faith is the word pistis, the conviction that something is true. Okay, the next word, substance. Now, faith is the substance, hypostasis it means firm foundation. That's a summary of the definitions, but it means firm foundations. You can actually, next to it, also put the word confidence. That's not. I only gave you one line, but you can write two things there if you want. Firm foundation or confidence. <clears throat> um, and then the definition of hoped for, El Pizio, is to hopefully trust in. To trust in. So when I have a hard time figuring out the wording of a scripture or something, I try to find these definitions and then plug them in to where those words are. And then go back and take a second look at it. And so if we plug those definitions into the scripture, here's what it says. Faith is the conviction and confidence that what we hope and trust for will actually happen. Faith is the conviction and confidence that what we hope and trust for will actually happen. That I understood. Maybe it's just the redneck in me, the Southern, you know, like grown up in public school kid. You know what I mean? Like that, that, that needed it to be broken down to help me understand it. But that I got. And so when I look at that statement, faith is the conviction and confidence that what we hope and trust for will actually happen. That made me go to the next step and think who or what we put our, our hope in our faith in is wildly important. Now, believe it or not, whether you're in this room as a believer or not, every single one of you exhibited faith in the last 10 minutes. You had faith when you sat down in that chair. None of you turned the chair over to see if the bolts were tightened or the screws were tightened, which I did a couple weeks ago for you. But you didn't have to flip it over, right? You didn't look at the, the weave on the outdoor chairs that are over here and go, is it cracked? None of you checked it out. You just went to the chair and sat down. There was a confidence in you that what the outcome you wanted, which was to stay upright and not wind up on the floor, was going to happen when I sat in that chair and you did it without even thinking. Maybe it's because you saw it before. Maybe it's because you sat in that seat before Maybe it's because you come here every you know, week or every two weeks or whatever, and you sit in one of these chairs and go, I've never seen them break yet, so I'm good. But what you did was you exhibited a confidence that this thing was going to hold me, and it produced an outcome. But the Bible's not talking to us about just having faith. I lived in Texas for a little while, and Texas has the four Fs, faith, family, freedom, and football. And it depends on what day, and sometimes food. So there'll be five of them. And it depends on what day it is to which order those are prioritized in, right? Like some days the food is on. It's over. Barbecue and nothing else. I ain't talking about nothing else, right? Some days it's all about freedom. They go outside and shoot the guns in the air, you know, the, the, on the first of the year, fourth of July or something. Um, <clears throat> but that faith that people talk about in a general sense is not the faith of the Bible. See, we can't have faith. In anything but him. There's a lot of people that have faith in education, faith in themselves, faith in uh, a country, faith in a system, faith in fill in the blank, faith in their job, faith in money. But anything that is faith outside of him is a fraud. So when the Bible's talking to us about faith, it's not just saying that you need to have faith like our culture says you need to have faith, like, oh, everything happens for a reason. I believe that. Um that, oh, it'll all work out how it's supposed to. I just believe that you're going to get up tomorrow and it's going to be a new day tomorrow and a new, fresh attack on the day. And you can look at the situation new. That they refer to as faith, some type of belief. But that is not faith. That is optimism. I'm hoping that it'll get better tomorrow. So what we're going to find here when we read this passage is that The Bible separates faith and hope as two different things. They're related, but they're different. So I want us to be people who look at the scripture, and if we don't understand it, ask the question, what does this mean? I want you to be armed with the tool, what does this mean? So that you can not, when you ask the question, what does this mean? Like I talked about earlier with that scripture, Hebrews 11.1, When you're asking it, you're not showing your ignorance. You're actually expressing curiosity and a desire to understand fully. Don't be embarrassed to ask the question if you don't know. We want you to understand. We want you to grasp it. We want you to have the concept fully implemented and rooted in your heart and mind so you know how to implement it in your life. So when we have these passages that we read as one verse, what do we do? We back up and we read the ones before it to try to give us some further understanding. We're going to do the exact same thing here. So that was Hebrews 11.1. 1. So we're going to go back into chapter 10 and read the last handful of verses and gain some additional understanding on this passage, okay? Hebrews 10.32. This is the writer of Hebrews talking to Christian people. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and you were beaten. And sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. And when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now, so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that He has promised. For in just a little while, <clears throat> excuse me, the coming one will uh, will come and not delay. And my righteous ones will live by faith. But I take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen and give us assurance about the things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in the the days of old earned a good reputation. This passage is painting a picture of several things, and then he summarizes, he wraps those up, he puts a bow on it by that passage, of explaining what faith really is he outlines what you went through a hard time you went through suffering you were exposed to public ridicule if you didn't suffer you knew somebody who did and you went and you went through it with them you realized there were better things um, ahead of you but at the moment you were in the midst of a struggle in those moments he's saying don't throw away your confident trust Remember, you need, to, you need to have patience and uh, patient endurance is what you need so you continue to do God's will. And we need to be the ones who don't turn away from God to live by faith. <clears throat> then he talks about even though you're enduring all of this suffering, all of this hardship, all of this uncertainty, all of this, uh, this immediate turmoil, Do not quit following after the way that God is leading you. He very well knew that human beings back then, all the way to today, when they faced hardship, are tempted to stop. If you're a believer in Christ, I won't even talk about you. I'll talk about me. When I faced hardship, some really deep hardships, I would say, God, what the heck? Is this what happens when someone serves you? My faith didn't show through in that moment. My entitlement did. I wanted to say, I did what you wanted, so now I want you to do what I want. And that's not how this works. Faith is deeper than just going, oh yeah, I believe in God. There's a mature aspect to it that is shown in this. This is not a faith in anything else, including faith. When people say those things that I mentioned earlier, Oh, it'll work out. Everything happens for a reason. Those like little optimistic, little positive mindset phrases. That is what we call faith in faith. That's a belief that because I have a belief, something good is going to happen. No, I know a lot of people who believed a lot of things in their life and they told me they were going to be a lot of things. Nina and I ran a music institute in our ministry school and we had people who would show up and be like, I'm going to be the greatest singer Ever in the church. And then they would open their mouth to the audition, and we were like, please stop because (laughs) you were not given that gift to sing, right? You were not, uh uh, make a joyful noise away from a microphone, right? Like, do not do it up here, right? I heard a lot of people say, oh, I believe that I'm gonna do that. It it just, you ain't got the gift. You ain't got it. So it doesn't matter that you believe something because you could believe a lie. You have to put your faith into something. Next line in your notes, our ultimate faith is in Jesus. Through persecution, through hardship, through mockery, through tough times, we must maintain our faith in him. So after looking at that passage, there's a couple of things that hit me that I want to draw our attention to that are the next little sections here in 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 our notes. Faith requires Uncertainty. Faith requires uncertainty. If you know how, how something is going to turn out, you know the steps it's going to take, you know how things are going to unfold. There is zero faith in that. and if there is any, it's in yourself and your own planning and your own understanding and your own knowledge. That's not trusting in the Lord with all your heart. It is leaning to your own understanding. If you know every step that's going to come ahead of you, for sure, guaranteed, you have no need of faith. Zero. There is no need to have, uh, have um, the substance of things hoped for. A confident assurance, a, a confidence and a certainty that what you're hoping and asking and trusting for will actually happen. Because if you're sure of it, there's no reason to ask for it. There's no reason for faith if there's not uncertainty. The second thing, next on your notes, faith isn't faith until your plan falls apart. Faith isn't faith until your plan falls apart. I talked to several people, all ages, young and old. In their mind, they've had a way that they thought their life their job, their relationship, their family, their career, whatever it is, their school, they they had this plan in their head, right? I'm going to do this, and it's going to be awesome, and that's going to open the door to this, and then that's going to be awesome, and then this, and this, and this, and then ba da we're rich, and I have a family and children, and we're whisking off to the Bahamas whenever we want to, right? And everyone has this plan of how this thing is going to go, and then when it doesn't materialize, everybody's mad because they're like, well, I came to church. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who said this right here makes so much sense. It makes sense that I would go this direction. It makes sense that God would give me what I'm asking for right here. It makes sense that um, uh, this would happen in my life. This would happen in my career. This next step would open. This makes sense to me. And then it falls apart. Are we only serving God? because he is orchestrating what we want or are we serving him because our faith is in him and he knows better and we're going to continue to follow, follow him even though the way we wanted things to unfold never materialized. If you are still following your own plan step by step with no deviation and no problems yet, you are in no need of faith. Why? Because faith is a Confidence and a certainty that what I'm hoping for, what I'm trusting for, the thing that's not seen, that's what I'm hoping for. And even though I'm in a situation or a circumstance that doesn't um, lend itself to promoting me to see Jesus or how he's working things out here, my plan fell apart, but I'm still going to remain faithful to him and keep my faith in him because I'm not in this to get what I want. I'm in this. So he gets what he wants from me because that is the most fulfilling and ultimate purpose for my life. The third thing in your notes, next line. Faith isn't faith until you can't explain how God will bring the outcome. Faith isn't faith until you can't explain how God will bring the outcome. If you're in the middle of something and you say, oh, God, I got a great idea how this could work out. You could just heal this person right now. All the nurses and all the doctors get saved. And we just have a whole like Holy Ghost hoedown in here. We go marching around the, 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 the hospital. We start laying hands on all the other people and they all start popping up. Talk about revival. This is what we should do. This would be a great plan. I can see that happen and then it doesn't happen that way. That's where faith kicks in. And until you can't explain how God's going to bring the outcome, there's no need for faith. All these are summarized in the next line of your notes. Faith is in faith until it's tested. If you call yourself a Christian, a Christ follower, someone who's going to go after God with everything that they have in their life and your faith has not been tested yet, it's coming and it will come again and again and again in different ways just like the velociraptors in the first jurassic park movie they attacked the fence in different locations looking for weakness all the just just picture that in your mind the doubt the struggle the area of life and come at you with a curveball will you continue to stand when your faith is tested or are you finally going to say I've sat here through this problem, this problem, this problem, this scar, this wound, this disappointment. I ain't dealing with this no more. Or am I going to stand there and go, I am committed to him. I believe he's working things out for my good. And even though I can't see it right now, I'm going to hold on and reinforce that. So, this is up here today, not because I needed a neutral background for the live stream. Although you guys are important, I love you. Um, this, I got an illustration for this that um, I think will kind of help give some understanding. This curtain right here um, is the, the limiting factor of what we can see in life. You can call this time. You can't look ahead in time. You can't fast forward in time. I don't care what, you know, alien conspiracy theory you saw on Twitter who said there's a portal somewhere that we can step in and come back. You know, hasn't happened. You can't see forward in time. So all you can do is walk and follow God every step that he gives you through his word and through his leading of his spirit. But there is a level of blindness here that we because we can't see ahead we think we know that we're going to school tomorrow we think we know that we're getting up at a certain time we think that alarm clock gonna wake us up we think we're going to work or to whatever you think that whatever your plan is for school tomorrow whatever you think that's going to happen but you don't know for sure what you do know is that you're planning for that and you'll adjust if there's something else that comes but there is a limit to what you can see as a human being <clears throat> there are moments there are moments where <clears throat> where God's going to ask you even with a limited view to do something if you're following him he's going to ask you to do something he's going to ask you sometimes to be obedient in a certain way he's going to ask you to Pray for the person that you just walked by their cubicle in at work. You're going to be cleaning the tables because there's no customers in the Starbucks. And you're going to see this lady over there weeping. There's some, And your heart's going to tell you you need to pray for her right now. Something similar along those lines. And you're going to have a moment. So let me make up a hypothetical situation here, okay? So let's say that here I am following God with my limited knowledge as a human being. I can't see into the future. I'm just going along. I'm following what the Lord wants me to do. And then, bam, he just, I feel he grips me, kind of puts something in my heart. God, what do you want from me? I, I sense you kind of stirring me kind of a little bit. What is it that you want from me? And he communicates to you, got this real burden right here in your heart. Some people call it, he's speaking to me, but right here there's this burden. And he says, I want you to take that 10 bucks that you got in your pocket, And I want you to give it to Sanisa. Now, whenever it comes to money stuff, and when I feel like, especially younger me, when God would say, I want you to do something in in, relation to money, I just defaulted back to my old church of God upbringing and said, the devil is a lie, right? I need that 10 bucks. That won't give me a half a gallon of gas to get around the corner and back today and even the change on whatever I spend for gas is not going to buy me lunch. I'm hungry. I can't give her stinking $10. And so if you've ever been in this situation and not with money, but with anything else in your life where God's prompting you to do something and you say, wait a minute, God, is this you or is this me? Is that your voice I'm hearing or is that my own voice? Is it me just trying to play the hero or something or what? what is it I'm? You know, and so then you kind of wrestle with it. You know what I'm talking about? You wrestle back and forth with it and you go, oh, man, I really feel like I'm supposed to do this. So you finally get up the courage to say, I'm going to act in faith. I'm going to believe what he's telling me to do. And so you kind of make your way over to Sanisa and you're like, you're expecting something because obviously the Lord's put this on your heart. You're waiting for this big response from her right? They waiting to, Hey, I was praying for you today. The Lord put something on my heart for you. You kind of make it all dramatic, right? You ever seen these church people make it dramatic, like really dramatic. If you want to see drama, people go to church anywhere, like dramatic folks, right? Nina met some of them today. Like it's super dramatic, right? So, um, so, so here I am. I feel like the Lord told me to do this. And I know that you have a need and that you need something and so I, I just I'm going to be obedient to what the Lord told me to do. We got some ten dollars. Don't take me. Thank you) <laughs> And then you're kind of waiting for the response, right? Because you're so sure that God kind of prompted you in some way to do something. So you're looking at Tanisha and after she rolls her eyes at you from being so dramatic, right? After she rolls her eyes at you and she goes, thank you. Because she's polite and she pockets the 10 bucks and then walks away. And then you're left there going, dang it, I knew that was me. I knew that wasn't God telling me to do that right i knew that wasn't me i knew that wasn't him i knew that was just me dang it man i'm out 10 bucks right even though i borrowed it from Anita i'm still out the 10 bucks right <laughs> like like so so here i am here i am going this is dang it man what what is going on and there will be moments where that happens to you and you have no clue how the outcome is uh, the, how, how the how things are going to resolve You're not going to have any view of how things are going to, or how they're going to shape out, and you're going to continue going through your life in obedience to God. But every once in a while, not all the time, not even the majority of the time, not even the vast majority of the time, but every once in a while, to show you exactly that he's the one been working in your life, he pulls the curtain back. pulls the curtain back to show you and reveal to you that he was piecing some things together for her in her life. And your obedience was part of that puzzle. You may not have known that this is all hypothetical, but you may find out a year from now when Sinisa comes back and goes, hey, remember when gave you that 10 bucks in church that one day? Yeah, I remember I rolled my eyes at you because you're being really dramatic. Yes, I remember, I remember. Sorry about that. I thought the Lord told me to do that. I was obviously wrong. No, he wasn't. On the way to church, I was praying and asking God to show me a way to help my I don't, relative, my grandmother or somebody who needed some money. And when you gave it to me, it convinced me in my heart, God sees me on the way to church that day I asked I said God well, are you going to are you going to to do something can you show me should I be the one getting involved here to help my grandmother because she has all these needs in her life am I the one that should be getting involved here and when you gave me that 10 bucks it wasn't nearly enough to to solve her problem but it was an answer to prayer for me that God heard me and that I'm supposed to engage in I'm supposed to engage in helping her and then getting involved to help her ignited this heart in me to care for other people that led me into nursing. And now I'm going on a medical mission into South America as a way to witness to other people. Now, I made that whole story up, right? Mm -hmm. Made the whole story up. But it's an illustration of how you don't know what role your obedience is playing now. You don't know what role you're responding to God is playing in the life of somebody else. There's something going on behind the curtain that you can't see. There is God orchestrating pieces together that you can't see. I gave you a kind of a fake story with Sinisa. Thanks for letting me kind of draw you into my, my, um, no, no you're good. George, um i and I, I don't want to um yeah see yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um um I don't want I, I don't want to um stay on the hypothetical one real quick let me take you to a real story about uh about ten years ago um I had this young man walk up to me and say hey are you Matt Poole and I went yeah I didn't know this guy I' never seen him and he said, I know you, but you don't know me. And I don't know what you. That's probably the best way to start a conversation, right? Like, I'm like, okay, are we squaring up? Or like, what are we, what are we doing? Like, take a step back. And let me survey my surroundings. Like, what are we doing here? And I said, yeah, wh- why? And he goes, how do you know me? I'm, so I introduced myself to him. And he goes, um, about five years ago, you were at this conference with your ministry team. And you were praying for people at the front. You're part of this prayer group. And they asked anybody in this big old conference that they wanted to come down for prayer to come down. And this guy came down and you didn't know him and you prayed for him. And you just asked, what do you want prayer for? And you said whatever you felt like the Lord put on your heart. And the kid left. And the what you said to him that day, he went back to the East Coast. I think it was Alabama somewhere. And he made a decision. He was going to delay his entry into college and go to ministry school in Alabama. He was struggling with it. He didn't know what to do. But after you prayed for him, he went. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. And he goes, that guy and his ministry school traveled to my area of Seattle, Washington. And I was struggling with what do I do with my life? I'm I'm here in my first year of college or I'm about to start and, 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 and I, I don't know what to do. And he said, and this guy that you had prayed for is standing down in front. Now he's praying for other people. And I came up to him and he said, Man, I don't know what to do. Should I not go to college? I really feel this drawn to ministry. And this this kid goes, I was in the same spot you were just a year ago. And let me tell you what this guy named Matt Poole said to me at a prayer time. He said this to me, and it's in my heart. I want to share it with you. And he goes, that day, I made the decision to pursue ministry instead of some secular group. And he said, you had no idea that you being faithful what god put on your heart to speak would have a ripple effect in that guy's life that would impact my life and every person we've impacted in ministry is because your active obedience that day i know we don't get to hear these stories a lot about how things impacted someone that impacted someone that impacted someone i just wanted you to know That your faithfulness is shown in my life. I had no idea who he was. All I had to do was sit there and go, I'm going to be faithful to what I feel like the Lord's kind of put on my heart to pray for this kid. And then he took that somewhere and made a decision and passed it on to someone else who made a decision. And the ripple effects of all that were not seen. You and I live with this limitation. We live not being able to see how giving the $10, praying for someone, or whatever it is that God is putting on your heart to do, you live now unable to see the ramifications of what's going on behind the curtain. But God is not limited here, He operates here. And, there. and if he has instructed you to do something as a believer in Christ, whether it's give the 10 bucks, whether it's pray, whether it's stand firm in what you believe to the people who are around you, whether it's to open your mouth at work, whether it's to open your mouth at school, whether it's to take a step in a direction that seems risky for you. Whatever that is. At the moment, you could be like, this doesn't make any sticking sense because you can't see what's going on back there. But if your faith is in the God who sees everything, who made everything, who started everything, who was before anything was, and will exist after anything exists. If you are, that is the one that you have put your faith in, that is the one you put your hope in, that's the one you put your trust in, then you can be assured that even though it doesn't make sense at the moment, you may be facing ridicule for it at the moment. You may be taking some type of persecution for it at the moment. You may lose friends. You may lose temporarily lose relationships. You may be standing here because God is only telling you, stand right here and say the truth in this situation. I don't understand how that's going to work out. But he takes that obedience because of your faith in him. And he begins orchestrating things back here behind the curtain that you can't see. <clears throat> We want God to work it out here so I can see. Can you just let me in on the plan on what's going to happen? Ooh, I see how that's going to work out now. Now I'll do it. That doesn't require any faith. Faith requires uncertainty. It requires your plan to fall apart. It requires you not knowing the outcome that God's going to orchestrate in somebody else's life. Let me give you a different churchy way to say this. Some sow, some water, some reap the harvest. Some tell people about, about Jesus. They teach them about him. And these seeds of faith are planted in their life. Some, someone else comes through and waters. Someone else sees that the plant is growing and harvests it. Everybody has a role. The only problem is you don't know what your role is at the moment. You just know that I am acting in faith because I'm having trust in Christ. I'm following exactly where He's leading me. I don't believe in, I don't believe in. Anything else except for him, everything else can be beneficial in some way. But he is the source of my faith. He's the thing that I have my hope in because he's the only one who knows what's going on behind the curtain. And if I'm going to be faithful, I'm going to have to respond in obedience to when he puts something in front of me that I don't understand. It makes no sense to pass up that job, God. It makes no sense. I really like that school. Why would you kind of put in my heart to go this one? Why every time I pray about doing this thing that I really want to do, there's just this uh, there's tension. And over here, I feel peace when I talk about going this direction. Follow him because he knows what's going on behind the curtain. What I'm trying to say, the next line of your notes, is faith is a front-end ingredient. It's a front-end ingredient. For all the rednecks in the room, let me simplify that for you. Faith is not the icing on the cake. It's the flour in the mix. It's the first thing in the bowl. By itself, you could go, this is not very appealing. But after God puts in all the ingredients and puts the steps together that you can't see, it turns into something beautiful. But faith is a front-end ingredient. You can see how things were orchestrated and how God used your obedience. You can see that, and that can strengthen your faith. But if you are going to have faith, It is on the front end. So There's four things I just want to uh, draw our attention to. And I want to encourage you with tools that you can use to build your faith in front of the curtain when you can't see what's going on behind it. The first one is this. Number one. It's next on your notes. Pray in the midst of your heartache. Pray in the midst of your heartache. Romans 8, 26 through 28. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. <clears throat> when you pray in the middle of the confusing, situation, the the moment of heartbreak, the moment of chaos, the moment of indecision, the moment of confusion, when you stop there and pray, you are reminding yourself that God causes the best to happen. You and and I You ever heard somebody say this? Buckle up, dude. It's going to be a ride. Buckle up, man. Don't know where it's going to go, but we're going somewhere. That's not God. He's not along the ride with you. He's orchestrating things behind the curtain that you can't see. He may say, it seems like a ride, but if you are attached to me and your faith remains intact with me, then you can be confident that what I'm working out here behind the curtain, once you get to see it, and that might only be in heaven, but once you finally get to see it, I'm going to expose what I was doing the entire time. And in those moments where you get to see it, it should build your faith. Pray in the midst. Number two. read scripture in the midst of your struggle read scripture in the midst of your of your struggle romans 15 1 through 4 we who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this we must nest we must not just please ourselves we should help others do what is right and build them up in the lord for even christ didn't leave to please himself As the scriptures say, the insults of those who insult you, O God, have fallen to me. Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. Now watch this. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled man, I don't know about reading this Bible. I don't understand what it says all the time. There's some of these things I don't really get. Okay, I'll get you a version that you understand. Why do I have to read this? Because the scriptures give you hope and encouragement as you patiently wait for God's promises to be fulfilled. Encouragement to what? Keep believing. Hope for what? The things that you're praying for. That God is hearing you. You are reading stories that display God's character throughout the New Testament, throughout the Old Testament, throughout all different times of history. You are reading and absorbing and consuming things that are reminding you, oh, yeah, God is in control. His word encourages you. So read scripture in the midst of the struggle. Number three, sing in the midst of your fear. <clears throat> Sing in the midst of your fear. Colossians 3:16 and 17. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom He gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts and whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks. Through him to God the Father. You're being taught here. If you have a problem or a struggle in the midst of your life, call another believer, get him on the phone, go see him, sit with them for coffee, whatever it is, meet them somewhere and talk about the struggle you're in the midst of so they can encourage you, remind you about what God's word is, and then sing the songs, the psalms, the the hymns, the spiritual songs to God. Because what that does is it reinforces your faith. When you sing, when things are going out of control, and you talk about God being in control, what you're doing is declaring around yourself that I have faith in God and that even though I can't see behind the curtain, I believe that he's working things out for my good, to fulfill his purpose and for his ultimate glory. So I'm going to stand here, even though I don't understand it, even though I don't know why I'm going through this hardship, even though I don't know why I'm it feels like I'm always going uphill. It seems that I'm always taking one step forward and getting knocked down. I don't care. I am going to sing about God's goodness and remind myself and tell myself, am I going to allow Me, my will, my emotions, my heart. Am I gonna allow my mind to sink into a pit of despair and give up on everything that I believe? Or am I going to stand here, even though it's hard, even though I don't feel like it, and I'm gonna raise my hands and I'm gonna sing, he is in control. Because when I do that, I am reinforcing the faith, the confident assurance that what I am hoping for and who I am trusting in to bring it is real and he will do it according to his will. Psalm 59, 16 through 17. As for me, I will sing about your power. Each morning I will sing with joy about your unfailing love for you have been my refuge, a place of safety when I'm in distress. Oh, my strength. To you, I sing praises. For you, O God, are my refuge, the God who shows me unfailing love. I don't know if you caught what he just did there, but in the midst of him singing, this is a song that he's singing. He remembers while he is singing, he's not just talking to a God that's out there, he's not just talking to a God that is at a distance. God is his strength. When you sing in full faith, believing, it reinforces your faith in him and reminds you who God is and what he's capable of. A.W. Tozer has a quote that wraps up this point really well. Perhaps it takes a purer faith to praise God for unrealized blessings than for those we once enjoyed or those we enjoy now. Perhaps it takes a purer faith to worship when we can't see what's going on behind the curtain. To praise God, even though we don't see how all the pieces of the puzzle are fitting together. Instead of when we got to see and went, oh my gosh, I'm glad I obeyed there. A Perhaps it's a purer faith to worship in faith. Last one, number four. Keep trusting God in the midst of chaos. <clears throat> Keep trusting God in the midst of chaos. Psalm 62, one through eight. This is David talking and your life has not seen any chaos like this. Wait till we read this. I wait quietly before God for my victory comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will never be shaken. So many enemies against one man, all of them trying to kill me. To them, I'm just a broken down wall or a tottering fence. They plan to topple me from my high position. They delight in telling lies about me. They praise me to my, faith, but my face but cursed me in their hearts. Let all that I am wait quietly before God for my hope is in him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will not be shaken. My victory and honor come from God alone. He is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. O oh, my people, trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart to him for he is our refuge. David is expressing faith. Trust, hope, love to, and he's singing to the God who that has promised to protect him while he's hearing the plans that other people are putting together to overthrow his kingdom, to kill him, to murder him, take over his throne. And one of the people who is in the, uh, the group conspiring against him is his own son. His own son. In the midst of the most the most hurtful betrayals, people trying to murder you. What happens? What does he do? He keeps trusting in God in the midst of chaos. He's refusing to quit on him. He's refusing to give in to the The demands and the hateful allegations and the thoughts of other people. He is not going to crumble. He's not going to let his faith in God crumble just because he is in the midst of a hard time. He doesn't see how he's going to get out of it. He doesn't see how God's going to orchestrate things. He doesn't see how this is going to end. He can't see any of that. All he knows is that the God he serves is working things out behind the curtain that he can't see. And he's limited, but his God is not. So he is going to keep trusting him no matter what anyone else does. Why do all this, Matt? Why can't God just show up in the midst of my problem and be like, it's gone? He could do that. There's an off chance he might. He may just step in and be like, you've been through enough. I'm going to take care of this before you move along. That will be great. That should not make you be prideful or arrogant. It should make you have even more faith in him. But why go through all of this? Why continue to pray? Why read scripture? Why keep my faith in him? Why, why, why to um, um, continue on trusting when I can't see? What is it about this that gets God's attention? Hebrews eleven six. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. <clears throat> For he who comes to God must believe that He is. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, your first faith is in him, in his son, that there's salvation found there that he will move you from death to life, that he will he will take the heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh, and he will take the the death nature that is inside of our flesh, and he will bring us back to life he We will be born again. That's the first step. But after that, we must also believe, have a confident assurance in him that he rewards those who diligently seek him. It's not just a thought to put in your back pocket and be like, oh, well, eventually got to reward me for all this. No, no, no. You must believe that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Those who are genuinely pursuing him, those who are genuinely trying to follow him, genuinely turning their life over to him, genuinely digging deeper, trying to go past the, oh yeah, I believe there's a God, into the deeper understanding, having deeper roots in our faith. The last thing, it's not even a note for you to write down, but I put it in there. For your reference, is that definition of the word rewarder in the original language is one who pays a wage. He is the one who pays the wage for those who have believed he does that for people who seek him. How does he pay the wage? Whatever way he sees fit. Mm -hmm. You so show a seed of a hundred dollars, he's gonna give you a hundredfold back in the next 30 days. Nope. The wage he might give you is finally settling your heart. The payment he might give you is finally settling your mind. The payment he might give you is ultimate peace that you cannot understand. But all of it is predicated on one thing, faith. A confident assurance that what you're hoping for, what you're trusting for, and the one you're trusting in has the ability and desire to fulfill the request if it lines up with his will and his purpose. You just have to trust in front of the curtain while he does his best, most creative work behind it. Faith in tomorrow instead of Christ leads a man to rely on something that can't deliver. Optimism place for it. Thinking the best about what's going to happen going forward, there's a place for it. But that's not where your faith is supposed to be. Your faith is not supposed to be in tomorrow. It'll work itself out. No, your faith needs to be in the one who orchestrated that there can even be it. It doesn't say because we live, we can face tomorrow. Because we made it through today, we can face through tomorrow. The old hymn says, because he lives, we can face it.